So we're looking at, I mentioned, we're, we're looking at an idea that really pops up regularly throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, especially as we're looking at Jesus' life. And it's this idea of a disciple. This is a word that we've talked about many times. If you think back to the past two weeks of messages, last week James preached on the Sabbath. Two weeks ago, I preached on the spiritual discipline of fasting. And in each of those cases, what initiated that conversation was the behavior of Jesus' disciples compared and contrasted to the behavior of disciples of the Pharisees or of John the Baptist. And we see, we have to understand disciple was a regular part. This idea of discipleship, it was a part of their culture. It was integral to their society, to their education, to their religion. So when Jesus talked about disciples, right? Jesus says, go and make disciples. When he gave this command, this would have been an idea that the people of that time were intimately familiar with because it was so woven into their life. Jesus had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Pharisees had disciples. This was an everyday occurrence for them. But it got me thinking as we're considering this and as we're looking at Jesus' life, and I want to make sure, do we really understand what a disciple is? So that's my first question. And yes, this is, I think sometimes you guys think I'm asking rhetorically. I'm about to ask a question. I want people to yell out answers. What's a disciple? Give me a word. What's a word that comes to mind? Follower. Servant. Student, those are, I mean, you guys really, we didn't, I didn't promise I didn't plant those answers, but those are really the first three things people think of, follower, student, and servant. And they're all true, but they're not the complete picture. See, because a disciple was more than just a follower. A disciple was more than just a student. A disciple was more than just a servant. It was part of, again, you have to understand, when Jesus talks about discipleship, he grew up in the Hebrew culture. He grew up in the Hebrew rabbinic, rabbi. Rabbis would have disciples. Rabbis were the teachers of the time. And the way Hebrew culture had structured discipleship was a rabbi would call a disciple. So a disciple is someone who the rabbi called into a loving relationship with the rabbi to begin to imitate and look like the rabbi by living missionally with the rabbi. So it was more than just a follower. Think about it. Jesus had crowds of people following him. Disciples are followers. Not all followers are disciples. There were people who followed Jesus because they just wanted something from him. They wanted the next miracle. They wanted to see the next loaves and fishes. They wanted something from Jesus, so they followed him. James pointed out last week that the Pharisees followed Jesus, just hoping to catch him in a mistake. So disciples are followers, but not all followers are disciples. Disciples are students, not all students are disciples, because a student sits and learns under a teacher and then leaves and goes home and returns to their regular life. Not a disciple. A disciple was one called by the rabbi into loving relationship with the rabbi, this was more than just, how many teachers live at home with all of your students? And you eat with all of your students. Phil, Phil and Bethany homeschool. So Phil, Phil is not, you don't have to worry about what school district he's in. But okay, good. I didn't, I, that, was, that was clever. I didn't anticipate that, Phil. Well done. Well played. So students aren't necessarily disciples. But a disciple 
A disciple is something deeper. A disciple is something meaningful. A disciple is something transformative. A disciple is something life-changing and life-defining. And this is what we are called to in Jesus. If you look at these four qualities of Hebrew culture, of what discipleship was to these people, you have called by the rabbi into loving relationship with the rabbi. You have the who and the what. And then you have the why. Why were they called into this loving relationship? To conform, to look like, and imitate the rabbi. How? By living missionally with the rabbi. And we'll dive into what that phrase means in a little bit. But so those are the four things that define a disciple in Hebrew culture. The culture in which Jesus is teaching. The culture in which Jesus is living. So the question to me then logically becomes, if these are the four qualifications of a disciple, is this really what the Bible calls of me in my life? So let's look at these four pieces of discipleship. First, are we called? Are we called? If Jesus, Jesus was referred to as rabbi, Jesus is God. So are we called by God? Does the rabbi initiate this relationship? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 1 Peter 2.9, but you, and this you is plural, this is the, the royal you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible is abundantly clear that we are called by the rabbi. That we are called by God into something more, into something deeper. Just like a disciple would have been in that time. So what was next? If the who is the rabbi and the who the rabbi is calling the disciples, what was the next step? Why or into what? The rabbi called the disciple into a loving relationship with the rabbi. This was not impersonal. This was not cold and distant. This was an intimate fellowship and relationship. Do we see that as God's intention for our, our walk with him? I believe we do. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Listen to these words. And you probably you may know this passage, the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. We are called, what? Into loving relationship with God. That must be the first priority in the life of the Christian. When I accepted the invitation from the elders back in December, over December and over January, I had five men reach out to me, all of whom either were pastors for many years or are currently still serving as pastors. These are five men with decades of experience. 
Dennis Turner down in the district office, Jeff Miller, who used to be our district superintendent, Pete Lovejoy, Dale Patrick, who is the current pastor over at the MAC, my dad, five pastors who have done this with their life. They have answered God's calling into pastoral ministry. They all told me the exact same thing about what must be my priority as a pastor. I mean, all five men, independent of one another, they didn't all get together and collude. These were five separate conversations, and every single one of them said the exact same thing. Now, I'm not the quickest person, but when five people repeat the exact same thing, I'm going to pay attention to it, right? You, yeah, I mean, we've got five guys with decades of experience. I'm going to listen. You know what they said must be the number one priority in my ministry here? My personal relationship with Jesus. All five of them have said the best way that you will serve that church is if God is your number one priority. The best thing that you can do for your church is to put God above them in every single instance. The best thing you can do, I will never forget, Esther, I will forever be grateful to your husband. We are sitting in Bob Evans and he looks at me and he says, you never sacrifice your time or relationship with God in the name of these people. And so if you look at my day, I might move a phone call with Mike because I also have to have a phone call with John. Mike, can I, I've got to talk to John, so I'm going to bump you to tomorrow. I might move a phone call with John because, shoot, I just got pulled into a seminar. John, can I call you tomorrow? You know what does not get moved off of my day? Regardless of what is going on in the lives of all of you, whom I love dearly, but my time with God does not get sacrificed in my day. Because I have been called into a loving relationship with God and that must define who I am. And in the same way, your relationship with God must define who you are. Your relationship with God must be the core of who you are and how you approach this life. Because it is what we are called to. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen to these verses. When you think about the idea of a rabbi calling disciples into a loving relationship, listen to these next verses. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God sent Jesus to restore the relationship, to call us into loving relationship. This is not a distant, impersonal lecturer. This is a loving, intimate, personal father. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is calling us into fellowship. What is more intimate than inviting someone into your home to sit around the table and dine together and to laugh when Sam spills his drink, but it's okay because it's about the fellowship. This is what Jesus is saying. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open, I will come in for fellowship, for relationship, into your home, into your heart. Romans 8, 14 through 16, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is a relationship. And what's more, this is not just a professional relationship. This is not just a business relationship. I have a business relationship with the guy who helped us out with our taxes this past year. I don't think he would say he loves me. I don't think he remembers my name. Truthfully, I don't remember his first name. This is not a business relationship. This is a loving relationship. Who's this on the screen? Brad Paisley. What's Brad Paisley have to do with Jesus? Brad Paisley has a fantastic song called Then. In the chorus of the song, the line that gets repeated is, and I thought I loved you then. And he's looking at his relationship with a significant other, with his wife, and he's looking, you know, when we were kids, I thought I loved you then. And then I got to know you, and our love went even deeper. And then when you were pregnant, I thought I loved you then. And then our love went deeper. And when we're old and gray, I will still think I loved you then, but I know that every subsequent day, I will love you more and love you deeper. It's a beautiful song. My question for you today is, does that song describe your relationship with Jesus? Can we truthfully say as people that my love for Jesus is going deeper and deeper, that I love God more today than I did a week ago? That I love God more this year than I did the year before because I am constantly going deeper. I am constantly pursuing the heart of God. I am investing in this relationship. I said I love you to my wife when we got married and I have not said it since. Who believes that? That would have been really bad. Thank, if you do believe that, thank you for not putting your hand up. I tell my wife I love her regularly. I spend time with her regularly. I sacrifice other things to spend time with her, and she does the same for me. We invest in our relationship. If you're familiar with the five love languages, they're spot on. The five psychological love languages that everyone in the world falls into. You've got acts of service, you've got words of affirmation, you have quality time, you have gifts, and you have physical contact. These are the five ways in which people express and receive love. Do they describe your relationship with God? Can you look at your relationship with God and say, yes, this is a loving relationship into which I am investing. I am regularly telling God how much I love Him. I am giving Him words of affirmation. I give my time to God. Quality time, I spend quality time with God because this is a loving relationship. I invest in this because He has invested in me. This is a loving relationship. This is not a business transaction. This is personal. This is real. This is my heart. A rabbi called disciples into a loving relationship. Question for you, church. Is your love for God growing deeper? That needs to be at the forefront of your mind. And then why? Why? A rabbi called a disciple into a loving relationship. Why? So that the disciple would become like the rabbi. So the question naturally is, is this still true of us? Is this true of what God has called us? Has God called us to conform to the rabbi, Jesus? 
Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. 1 Peter 1.14-16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you, there's called again, as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification, that's a fancy theological word for conforming to the image and person of Christ. People say, if I could just figure out God's will for me. I mean, he literally wrote it out. This is my will, that you be conformed to Jesus. You can't get any more plain than that. We have been called by the rabbi into loving relationship with the rabbi. Why? To be conformed to the rabbi. And this is where it goes back to not all followers are disciples. As we continue to look at Jesus' life, we're, we're approaching a point where many, if not most, of his followers abandon him because what he asks of them is too much. Whoa, I was cool with following you when you were turning you know, two loaves into thousands. I was cool with following you when you healed me. You, you want what of me? I'm backing out. Disciples are followers, not all followers are disciples. So church, the next question to ask yourself, am I growing deeper in my love with the Lord? Is my heart growing deeper in love with God? Am I looking more and more like Jesus? Am I more and more reflecting Jesus to the world around me? When they see me, do they see the person of Jesus? Do they see the heart of Jesus? Do they see the mercy of Jesus? Do they see the grace and the compassion and the forgiveness of Jesus? Do they see the unyielding truth of Jesus? Do they see the unwillingness to compromise on the gospel that Jesus demonstrated? When the world looks at us, do they see Jesus? That might be a painful conversation with yourself. If you look in the mirror and you say, man, I don't really know if I reflect Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you would say, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm not just a fan of Jesus. I didn't just like Jesus' Facebook page. I'm not just a follower of Jesus. I don't just get his updates from time to time. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Okay, well then, are you increasingly resembling our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because this is the call on the lives of disciples. And then how? How? How do we do this? This is a massive task. Well, by living on mission as Jesus did. And this phrase, living missionally, right at the start I said, a rabbi called a disciple into loving relationship to look like the rabbi by living missionally with the rabbi. What this meant is that wherever the rabbi went, the disciple followed. The conversations that the rabbi had, the disciple had. The behavior the rabbi emulated, or the behavior the rabbi modeled, the disciple emulated. The disciple lived with the rabbi day in, day out, moment to moment. They witnessed how they interacted with people. They witnessed how they taught. And they imitated that behavior because they were seeing it constantly. It was constantly in front of them. This was not something... You didn't, disciples didn't show up for an hour on Sunday morning and then go back home. And then show up a week later and then go back home. The disciple was with the rabbi always. Always learning from the rabbi. The disciple 
took the mission of the rabbi, the purpose of the rabbi, and the disciple applied it to their own life. Okay, rabbi, what are you doing? That's what I'm going to do. Rabbi, what's important to you? That's what's important to me. The rabbi defined the life of the disciple. Whatever the rabbi set out to do, the disciple set out to do. Once again, logically, all right, well, if, if we're comparing ourselves to the disciple and Jesus to the rabbi, is this what Jesus calls of us? Oop, how do I go back? I'm new to this magic thing. It's fancy though, right? I feel cool. Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? This is such a famous verse. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love mercy. What's the last phrase? Anybody? Walk humbly with him. Where the rabbi goes, what does the Lord desire of you? That you go with him. You walk humbly with him. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did Jesus send his disciples out? His disciples, whom earlier in his ministry, John 20, when you look at John 20 and Matthew 28, chronologically, John 20 comes first. So Jesus has already had a conversation with this group of men. As I was sent, so I am sending you. Now in Matthew 28, he says, I am sending you out to make disciples of all nations. He's not sending us out to make converts of all nations and to just leave them there. Oh, cool, you accepted Jesus? All right, see you later. That's the, that's the end goal. No, I am sending you to make disciples of all nations. He has called us to a life of discipleship. If you look at my whiteboard in my office or the whiteboard up in the conference room, you'll see a couple words written on both of them. But one of the words that appears most, I mean, at the start of my vision, my dream, my heart for this church is that we would be a church of discipleship. That we would be a church that is producing disciples who are producing disciples who are producing disciples. That this would not be a body that is content with following Jesus, but that this is a body of believers who are committed to imitating Jesus who are committed to living lives that reflect Jesus, I will give my last breath to see believers become disciples. This is a burden on my heart that we would be a church of disciples, a church that lives daily with Jesus, that walks daily with Jesus, that where he goes, we go. Where he stops, we stop. What he says, we say. What he does, we do. I think the American church got away from discipleship and satisfied itself with following Jesus. I want us to be disciples of Jesus. I want to see this state become disciples of Jesus. I want to see this country become disciples of Jesus. I want to see the world become disciples of Jesus. We're going to start it here. You understand? This is going to be a body of disciples who live, who have entered into loving relationship with our Savior, who imitate Him, who walk as He does to become like Him, 
so that we can live missionally as he did. If Jesus came to make disciples and we are claiming to be disciples, then that mission must be the same for us as well. We're going to start here and we're going to transform little Kentucky. And then we're going to transform Mansfield. And then we're going to transform Richland County. And then we're going to transform Ohio. We're going to transform America. We're going to transform the world because that was the mission of Christ. And if I claim to be a disciple of Christ, then that better be my mission as well. This is the life we were called to. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciled. There's that loving relationship again. But what was the first part of this verse? We are ambassadors for Christ. Once again, this is not a rhetorical question. You guys did great the first time. You really did. That was fantastic. So let's do it again. What is an ambassador? Representative. Do they speak on their own authority? No. Do they say whatever they want to say, or do they say what they've been told to say? I see people holding up number two. Right, the second one. An ambassador says what they've been told to say. They represent someone other than themselves. Do they live? If I am the ambassador to England, am I a citizen of England? No. Do they live with a purpose? Does an ambassador kind of slink into a room? Oh, hey, I'm here. Nobody bother me. No. An ambassador has been sent to represent their home country, to declare the mission of their home country, to speak with the authority of their home country. Friends, we are not citizens of this world. You do not belong to this country. You do not belong to this state. We are citizens of heaven. We are representatives of heaven. We have been sent to live with a mission to be ambassadors for the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is what a disciple is. Or who? A dis who? This is who a disciple is. This is what a disciple does. There we go. So the question then for us is, church, are we a church of disciples? You can't answer for the person sitting next to you. Answer for yourself. Are you a disciple? When you look at the original meaning of disciple, when you look at the meaning of disciple that Jesus grew up with, that Jesus was talking about, do you realize that you have been called by God into a loving relationship with God for the purpose of conforming to the image of Jesus so that you may live with the same mission and purpose and drive that Jesus did? Do you recognize that that is who you are called to be? It is a heavy calling. It is a beautiful calling. It is a life-defining, life-transforming, life-giving calling. I caught bits and pieces of Phil's class this morning. And if you're not showing up at 9 for our discipleship classes, man, you guys are missing out. They have had fantastic things to say each week. And this week, I caught different moments of it. And towards the end, Phil said, the world is in so desperate need of a Savior. I want to drive that home. I want to make that very real for you as you think about this idea, living missionally. Is Sam saying I've got to move to a third world country and give up electricity? 
Not even remotely. Maybe that's the calling on your life. Kids, if you're in here, pray. I dare you. I mean, kids, pray. Lord, what would you have me do with my life? Is it missions? Parents, pray. God, is this what you have called my child to? We can't be afraid to send our children into the missions field. But make no mistake, the missions field is all around us. Phil said we are in desperate need of a Savior. That is 100% true of Richland County. Here's some stats for you all to consider, this idea of living missionally. Is this important? Isn't that why we hired you? We've got, we've got James and Sam. Why is Sam talking about me living missionally? They're the two. Esther, oh, they've got Esther, too. And they've got Sherry and Matt. My goodness. And an elder boy. Sam's getting greedy up here asking us all to live missionally. We have people who are, no, let, let's talk about this for a second. Ligonier Ministries, if you know Ligonier Ministries, they just came out with their 2020 study on the state of salvation. Ligonier Ministries for 2020, we're not talking about data from 10 years ago, we we're talking about 2020 data. 52% of Americans think Jesus was a good teacher and nothing more. 52% of your fellow countrymen think that Jesus was a good teacher and nothing more. So at best case scenario, 48% of people in America think Jesus was Savior. But it's not 48%. But what that says is that 52% aren't even willing to say or don't even know that Jesus was God, let alone believe in Him as Savior. 52% of Americans think Jesus was a good teacher and nothing more. There are 328.2 million people in the U.S., approximately. 328 million people. On average, 2.7 to 2.8 million people every year die in America. On average, at the end of, of any year in America, 2.7 to 2.8 million people will have died that year. So let's put those numbers together. We'll round down. I'll be as generous as possible. We'll say 2.7 million people died. It was a good year for America. 2.7 million people died. We'll throw out that 2%. We'll just say 50%. So that means on any given year in America, 1.375 million people died who didn't know Jesus as Lord. 1.375. If it's a higher year, you're looking at one and a half million people died in America that year who had no idea that Jesus was Savior. If that doesn't drive you to live missionally, the idea that at the end of this year, one and a half million people will have died and gone to hell. One and a half million people not in heaven. Here in America, because they didn't know Jesus is Savior. Church, it is long past due that we wake up and take this charge of discipleship seriously. It is long past due that we wake up and realize we have been called by God into a loving relationship with Him to imitate Christ so that we might continue His mission. And I'm not saying all of you need to be pastors. What was one of the verses earlier? 1 Corinthians 7, 17 again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. You work where I don't. You live in a neighborhood that I don't. 
You have friends that I don't. Your kids are on teams that I don't have kids to be on teams of. So where you work, where you live, the friends you have live missionally there. Make disciples there. Because this is what we have been called to as disciples of Jesus. We cannot be content with being followers of Jesus only. We must be disciples. And so this week, let's read Ephesians 4 every day. Read Ephesians chapter 4 every day and ask yourself several questions. One large overarching question. How does this chapter relate to being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Those four points that we just went through, called by God into loving relationship with God to look like Jesus as we live on mission as Jesus did. Those four points, where do you see those pop up in Ephesians 4? And the neat thing is, once you start thinking like this, you'll start noticing this throughout your scripture reading. You'll be reading somewhere in Colossians and you'll say, whoa, that has to do with God's calling on my life because it's part of discipleship. You'll be reading in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or in 1 Kings and you'll see, whoa, living on mission, imitating the Lord. The people of Israel fell into trouble when they stopped imitating God and started imitating the people around them. That relates back to how I'm a disciple of Jesus. So we're going to start with Ephesians 4. Read Ephesians 4 and ask yourself, how does this chapter relate to me being a disciple of Jesus? And then the prayer is simple. God, draw me deeper in love with you as you teach me to be your disciple. If nothing else, please be people who are daily pursuing a deeper love of the Lord, who have given yourself to loving God more and more. Lord, teach us how to be these people. Teach us how to be disciples. I can think of no higher calling in our lives. And I think that the church that understands this, oh, tell me you don't want to be a part of a church like that. Tell me you don't want to be a part of a church of disciples going to war for the Lord every day. The church that Jesus described as the gates of hell being unable to resist. Friends, please, please let us be a church of disciples. Join me in prayer. Lord, it begins with you. All things do. And you have called us. We are your chosen people, a royal priesthood called by you into loving relationship with you. God, that's incredible. The maker of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer of the galaxies. You have called us into loving relationship with you. What a privilege, what a joy that is. May our hearts ring out with the joy of that reality every day. And Lord, teach us how to conform to the image of your Son. As we read about the conversations that Jesus has with people, as we read about how he interacts with people, let us not stop it. Well, that's a nice story. Let us realize that this is a roadmap of who we are to be. Teach us to imitate you 
the perfect rabbi. And God, teach us to live on mission with you. The things that burden your heart, burden our hearts with them. The purpose that Jesus approached his conversations with, the intentionality that Jesus lived with, Lord, please may these define the lives of these people. Please, Lord, raise this church up to be a church of disciples who make disciples so that your name would be glorified. We don't do this because we want to be remembered. We do this because we want to see your name lifted up. You are so good. And we thank you for this incredible calling in front of us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.